And I love this idea of opening space to talk about things in healthy ways mm-hmm. instead of critical ways. One of the things I like about the comics medium is that it's meant, it has a kind of a history of being humorous. And I think rather than get angry about something like this or upset about it or just complaining about it, rather than approaching this negatively, why not laugh at it and realize that there are more important things than church being exciting all the time? Yeah, I think the first step to healing is to laugh about it, to laugh at ourselves. Welcome to LDS Perspectives Podcast, where we explore aspects of LDS doctrine, history, and culture. Learning about things that affect our lives and our faith. We are everyday Mormons sharing extraordinary conversations. This is Laura Harris-Hills, and I am here today with Scott Hills to discuss the advantage of using creative mediums for expression of LDS thought. Now, Scott, you have your training in English. You have a PhD in English. How would you describe your qualifications to draw this graphic novel that we're going to talk about today, The Garden of Eden? Well, I don't really have any qualifications to draw. That's uh, the best. Yeah, and that's, I think, I think it's, it's helpful in some ways. I started off as an art major in college, actually, and I did about a year of that and dropped out of that major and started up English right after my mission. I don't regret that. I think I learned a lot about writing and telling stories. My emphasis was in American literature, and I I wrote a dissertation on the Mormon novel. So it's not like I had a whole lot of training in creative writing either, but I've read quite a bit of fiction, and I've read quite a bit of LDS fiction and know what I like and what I don't like and what I would do if I could write a Mormon novel. So I felt like I had enough qualifications in every little area that you would need to be able to put a book like this together and figured why not just do it. I mean, I could wait until I was a better artist or a better writer, but by then the story might change or might go away. So, Yeah, if I waited that long to publish, I would never publish. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Plus, doing it helps you gain skill. Yeah, yeah, and you can see that as you go through the books as I get progressively better, and in some ways it kind of mirrors the action of the story uh, and the character the movements that the character experiences. So I think it works out well. So we're going to use these two books you recently published with Coford Books that are a collection of your comics called The Garden of Enid, which you began maybe how long ago? Five years? Uh, no, it was, it was December of 2013. We're going to use comic strips, but we're going to talk about bigger concepts here. And that's to, as I said at the beginning of the show, use creative mediums for expression of LDS thought, which has been restricted. I would say self-restricted a yeah, lot. Yeah, I think that's, I think, yeah, I think the majority it's, has been kind of self-censorship or something like that. Yes, definitely. When you started this project, did you have any specific goals in mind? Not really. I joke around about the fact that when I started, I just did not want to suck. I did not want to create a shoddy project that would embarrass me and my my family. And, and so I didn't really start with any goals in mind. I knew that I wanted to tell a story about a, about a Mormon teenager. It just happened to be Enid. There wasn't a whole lot of thought about gender. I, and so I wanted to tell an interesting Mormon story, and I wanted to draw upon some of the thoughts and ideas I had about Mormon literature and what would make a good fictional Mormon story. You brought up an interesting point there for any creator or anyone who has a message is you have to be willing to go out into the arena and take criticism 
and that's a really scary prospect. You stepped into the arena a little slowly. Can you tell listeners how you did that? As I was working on my dissertation, as I was kind of working on my PhD, I was reading lots of Mormon fiction, and I, I began to kind of work my way into kind of Mormon scholarship, and I began to post on blogs. I, I became fairly active in uh, uh, Mormon literary blogs like Motley Vision and Dining of a Brighter Day. And so I began to put myself out there in that way. So my voice was already out. And then I began to want to do more than just scholarship and criticism, though. And I, I've always had a strong storytelling impulse in me, and I've always felt a strong desire to, to work in fiction. And, and I've always wanted to do a comic, but I wasn't quite ready to do that yet. I created this Twitter account called Mormon Shorts, but it was just a Twitter account where I would post anonymous Mormon microfiction. So this is Mormon fiction that was no more than 140 characters. So I would post it out there. Most of the time they were funny and uh, people responded really well to them. And I became more confident as a, as a Mormon humorist. After a while, I began to realize that I could take these same skills and make something of a Mormon webcomic that people would like. And so I think the thing that was holding me back is I really don't like to draw on paper. And I purchased an iPad and a drawing app on my iPad and learned that you can do quite a bit digitally drawing these days. And so I started drawing on my iPad and it just took off from there. I found I really loved that digital medium. And or it wasn't long after I purchased the iPad that I began drawing Enid. I'm going to start with the first comic that you drew. Now, all your comics have a title, Enid versus something. Enid versus the home teacher. In the first screen, it's Brother Harding is my family's home teacher. He's bald and kind of looks like an owl with a cardigan, sweater, and llamas or alpacas on it. Anyway, I'll be honest here. Sometimes when he visits, I pretend to be dead. So I'm reading this and I'm thinking, totally my six-year-old. Yeah. But... In it is 14. How do you, right from the beginning, establish a character that is safe for members of the church to identify with or to portray your message through? Well, I think it helps quite a bit that Enid is a faithful member of the church. She struggles quite a bit in her testimony, and this is probably something we'll talk about. But she is first and foremost a faithful member, and I, th I think that eases or relaxes a lot of people. She can kind of say that her home teacher is boring, and that doesn't scare anybody. Or maybe it does, but you're okay because you know that she's faithful and she's not going to lead you down to the depths of double hockey stick, as she might say. I think this is something that most people can identify with. We've all been in situations where we have a home teacher over and we're not that excited for him to be there, and he's not really that excited to be there, and we're just kind of doing it because that's what we do as Latter-day Saints. And there is an important purpose to it, and we all understand that, but that doesn't make it necessarily any easier. And sometimes for Enid, it's easier just to play dead and hope it <laughs> gets over soon. And in Enid's case, we should say a home teacher is really important. She yeah. comes from a, to overuse the term, dysfunctional yeah. home. And so a monthly president is, I would say crucial in yeah. her case and beneficial as the comic proceeds in time. Mm -hmm. What do you think comics and graphic novels as mediums for storytelling offer that other formats such as novels, scholarly articles, blogs, or essays cannot do? Well, I think that first and foremost, people will actually read a comic if they see it online. And I think this is 
what's so great about social media. I'm a fairly huge critic of social media. I'm not a huge fan of it in some ways, but I really like how it allows you to share things instantly. Like ideas, for example. I like how you can share ideas quickly. And, and I think what's nice about a comic is it's visually arresting and people will see that and they'll be drawn into it. And it will, they, they know that it will take only 30 seconds of their time, maybe a minute. So it's not a huge time investment. So they'll go in and, and they'll read it. And if it's profound, they'll kind of walk away thinking about the issue that it addresses. Or if it's funny, it will make their day better and certainly make social media better. And that's different from a blog post or an, uh, especially a scholarly article or an academic book or uh, a dissertation. Because, you know, I've written quite a few of academic articles and I can guarantee that they have not been read nearly as much as Enid. I'm sure some of them have only been read by about five people. But the idea is that I was really kind of frustrated when I would kind of spend a lot of time on an academic article or a blog post, especially blog posts. And I'd put it out there and I'd feel it was really good, but it didn't really connect with anybody else. Or it may have connected with some people, but it didn't really make much of an impact. I have found that I've really enjoyed the way that cartooning allows me to take the ideas I have in my head and just share them with people in a very friendly and a very accessible way. I noticed two things as I was going through these books. Number one, they have a surreal element to them. They don't seem like reality. And you've created that in the way you've drawn Enid and the characters. But also, when you're drawing a comic, unlike a blog, you can't take a subject and say, okay, this is important and this is why and this is my opinion. You have very limited space like Twitter, mm, yeah. only you have to spread it over with your drawings. A lot of it is I'm going to bring up something and that I'm going to let the person who views this mull it over, mm-hmm. let it settle, take away the impressions that their own experiences will lend to this. Mm-hmm. The next comic I want to share is called Enid versus Sunday Instruction. Enid says, I'm not exactly proud of it, But the other day, I got so bored with the young women's lesson that I just sort of walked out. And then there's a drawing of the teacher, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I wasn't trying to be rude or anything. I was just so sure there were more exciting lessons happening somewhere else. And then we have a picture of Enid wearing a fake mustache. And we know she's in high priest group. (laughs) class because there's an old man snoring and we have but 10 minutes in the high priest class convinced me i was wrong like literally dead wrong yeah i'm like wait did he just say church is boring is that okay to say yeah he didn't say church is boring and he didn't say anything snarky or disrespectful what are you doing here scott well i don't know i I think it's safe to say, I think a lot of people will agree that church is or can be a little boring. In an ideal world, it's not. We have, I think, really good structure in place. But oftentimes, and I think this is one of the, the beauties of church, is that you know, on the ward level, we see everybody's a volunteer. Everybody is working together to make this work. And people come to church with their imperfections. And sometimes those imperfections make church boring because people are in the process of learning how to do this or that. Not everybody's a polished teacher. Not everybody's a polished preacher, for that matter. 
some people, they have a lot of anxiety going into teaching or, or speaking in church, but they do it anyway because they are committed to the idea of the ward. And I think by extension, they're committed to the idea of Zion. And I think that's really beautiful about it. In practice, that can be very challenging, especially for somebody like Enid or for a lot of people who are really excited by the gospel, but they don't see that excitement translated well every Sunday. What I'm trying to do with this comic is is create a space where we can talk about that. You know, if you post something like this online, that can create a conversation about church. Some people might take that in a direction that, well, I don't know. I, I, mean, I see in the good. blogs, if they were to talk about this, it would take it in a negative direction. Yeah, yeah. We need to do this and this and this and this so it's not boring anymore. Yeah. You said Enid still goes to church, and we should mention that Enid goes to church by herself. Yeah. So here's a young woman motivating herself to continue going. She's realized that it's not more exciting in another class. Mm -hmm. That doesn't take away the boredom, but it also doesn't make her stop coming either. And I love this idea of opening space to talk about things in healthy ways Mm -hmm. instead of critical ways. One of the things I like about the comics medium is that it's meant, it has a kind of a history of being humorous. And I think rather than get angry about something like this or upset about it or just complaining about it, maybe complaining is the wrong word, but the idea is rather than approaching this negatively, why not laugh at it and realize that there are more important things than church being exciting all the time? Yeah, I think the first step to healing is to laugh about it, to laugh at ourselves instead of saying, hey, this is wrong. We have to change it. That doesn't stir up a lot of cooperation always because some people put up their armor yeah. at that point. Wait, you're criticizing. Yeah. So we're talking about safe space. Enid doesn't fit into the so-called Mormon mold, whether that exists or not. I would argue it doesn't, which makes her safe to play with. Making her weird gives you greater room as an author to test and redefine boundaries on what we can and cannot talk about as a Mormon culture. Mm -hmm. So you bring up really sticky, wicked topics. But Enid's weird, so it's okay. She can react in weird ways. So I'm going to read you another comic from December 21st. This is Enid versus the Cupcake. Just reading the title, you're, oh, no, I know what he's going to talk about. When I was a beehive, they handed me a cupcake and told me to lick it. But I licked the deacons instead. (laughs) So, Scott, you've brought up a huge issue, something that's been talked about on the blogs for the last couple of years, something that is very much a feminist issue, and you haven't talked about it. I haven't. I just made a joke about it. Yes. Not to kind of belittle the issue. No, I don't think it belittles it at all. It says, let's think about this analogy and how silly it is. Yeah, and I think we've all... I mean, I never had the cupcake analogy. We had other things. I mean, we had the nail on the board, pull the nail out, and it's never the same. If you break the law of chastity, you're like this board with a hole in it or whatever it might be. I don't know. That's weird, and there's probably all sorts of weird Freudian ways you can take that. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. But, you know, they have these weird things. I mean, I remember one where my young men's president compared chastity to a ring. Just weird stuff. And oftentimes, they're not very effective. And I don't know how prevalent they are anymore. 
I know when I was a youth leader, I don't ever remember teaching chastity lessons like that. But when I did this comic, I just thought it might be fun if we showed Enid just kind of disregarding the message. And I mean, if somebody gives you a cupcake, you want to eat it. I think she's just being weird here. I I think it's more than that. I think you're bringing the topic up. I didn't have the cupcake either. We had the miracle of forgiveness. Yeah, that's. But I did ask my daughter. I said, "So, when you were in Young Ones, did you ever have a cupcake lesson? You know, when this Mm -hmm. whole cupcake fear started?" And she kind of paused and she said, "Yeah, I guess we did. It didn't really affect me very much because we're really not talking about the issue there. Yeah. We're just talking about it on a superficial ivory tower kind of level instead of really talking about chastity and the factors involved in it and even yeah. about repentance. We're just skipping that part." Maybe that is one of the things that this comic can do. I mean, I think the licking the deacons part is played for laughs. If you post this comic online or if you share this comic with a youth group or with adults, you know, leaders, for example, that opens up a space to be able to talk about, you know, the effectiveness of a object lesson and maybe some of the shortcomings of object lessons because young women aren't cupcakes, young men aren't cupcakes. And I think sometimes it's better to just abandon the object lesson and talk directly to the youth about these issues, which is something I always tried to do when I was a youth leader. Enid is a self-proclaimed weird Mormon girl. This can make the reader feel a little self-conscious as they're going along. I did because I found myself identifying with these situations. And then I thought to myself, but I'm not weird like she is. I think Even though some, like some people <laughs> think I'm weird, I'm not like weird like that, and I'm feeling that. How would you characterize her particular brand of weirdness? Because I see you sometimes making her very much identifiable, and then you'll put a cartoon in there just to reinforce a weird. weird and bizarre element. I think part of what makes her weird is there's kind of a a curiosity to her. And I think that's what a lot of people identify with is they identify with her curiosity about the gospel and about life and learning and that sort of thing. Curious people have a tendency to think of themselves as the only curious people in the world because we go through life, we meet other people and we don't really get insight into their inner world. So we kind of see ourselves as the only person who is curious. But I think a lot of people identify with that. The other aspect of it, I think she's a very restless person. I think that's what leads to her her weirdness. She's not one who will really sit and just let her mind go blank. And so she's always kind of going off into weird places, either in the conversations she has with dead church historical figures or just doing weird things like licking a deacon or, or falling asleep for a home teacher. It's how she maybe copes with the restlessness that she feels. That's how she releases maybe the energy within her that just wants to burst. I don't know. It's tempting to classify your writing as satire, but you don't mock. You mentioned in an interview with Coford Books that my satire is meant to sting like antiseptic. (laughs) The comic's didactic and theologically profound at times. Two characteristics that are unexpected Mm -hmm. in a graphic novel. You grappled with faith crises uncomfortable history, social mores, the nature of faith, as well as what you've called disputed space, among other things. How would you hope that your satire works? We, as Latter-day Saints, carry around a lot of baggage 
historically, culturally, whatever it might be. These tend to leave open wounds that we sometimes are not excited about addressing publicly. I hope that when people read the comics, that the comics will kind of be like pouring antiseptic on these wounds. It will sting, that it may hurt a little bit, that they'll say, ouch, that kind of smarts. I can see myself in my own kind of attitudes or my own kind of prejudices or whatever it might be in these comics and use that as a way to work through them or open up discussions or dialogues about these issues or about these wounds or these hurts so that they can heal. And I think that's a lot of what the comic is about, is about healing and confronting pain and and addressing it. In that vein, I'd like to share a comic called Enid versus Eternity, which meant a lot to me because it addressed something that my family deals with. I sometimes worry about what it will be like in the celestial kingdom. I mean, maybe it would be cool if I thought an eternity with friends and family sounded fun, but I'm kind of an introvert and I'm already anxious just thinking about it. Now I need to share some of the things in the illustrations here. She's talking about the celestial kingdom and she has a white flowing gown on. And then when she's talking about being an introvert and being anxious, she's wearing t-shirts that say loner and rebel on them. Now, by this time, we know Enid. We know she doesn't have a lot of friends. She doesn't have a great relationship with her mother. She doesn't know who her father is. When she goes to church, she hears about mothers, fathers, and being with them together forever. That's anxiety-inducing to someone who really doesn't have that dynamic. I think that's one of the reasons why people have connected with her is because her story is not the story that we read about in the ensign. And these are issues that people have. You know, some of it may be the fact that they are alone in the church, that they are not necessarily connected or sealed the way other people are. And that raises lots of questions for people. They're oftentimes questions that are out there that we don't have great answers for, maybe even sympathetic answers for. I think that's what's going on there with her. I think there's also an element to it as well is that I'm one of those people where I really value my alone time and I really find that to be very spiritually rejuvenating. And I sometimes think about the afterlife and we get this impression that we're just going to be surrounded by people and surrounded by family. And I love people and I love family, but gosh darn it, I love solitude as well. And I think that's another thing that this comic is addressing is that for many Latter-day Saints, the sociality that we talk about so much is a terrifying thing. And that's, uh, you know, the vision that we have sometimes is a little scary. Or even the sociality that we have is not reflected in what the ideal would be. Like maybe you're not particularly close to some family members. And so the thought of all living in a family compound forever (laughs) makes you feel claustrophobic. I liked it because I find that a lot of what we talk about in church doesn't take into account the changing family dynamics. And as leaders as teachers we need to realize okay there's pain involved in some of this doctrine we need to tread carefully yeah we see that in other comics too i mean there's a there's a comic where enid flashes back to her childhood when she's singing uh, i'm so glad when daddy comes home on father's day and it's that sort of thing i mean she's grown up without a father it's something like that where you think oh this will be a sweet gift to the fathers on father's day not taking into account that for some children that's not a, a reality 
in the wider church, that's probably a bigger issue than any of us here in Utah can really appreciate. Especially in an international mm-hmm. church. But even, even here in Utah, though, I don't think we quite appreciate how that's even the case here. Oh, exactly. Uh, it was the case for my children. Yeah. It was hard for them. In a comic strip, your words are limited, and every word counts. What tricks did you use to maximize the impact of your dialogue? First and foremost is I made a commitment never to explain the Mormon references. One of the things I hate, and I'm going to say I hate, 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 hate about Mormon fiction, and I've read a lot of it, is when an author will stop the action of the story to explain what a ward is, or they'll use Catholic terms to explain Mormon terms. And I think for crying out loud, we live in the age of Google. Any reader who's going to care about your work is going to be able to pull out their phone, which is probably right there anyway, and Google what a stake is or a ward is or a bishop is. So I, I didn't really feel like I needed to waste any space explaining Enid's Mormonness. In fact, I made the Mormonness probably even more than it needed to be in the comic. It's everywhere. So I did that, but there are other things as well. Enid will be talking about an issue or she'll be talking around an issue. And maybe you're not quite clear what that issue is, but a book that she's holding will kind of give clues as to what that issue is. Or I'll um, put a a message on her t-shirt that makes some sort of Mormon reference that alludes to maybe nothing in the comic or maybe something that kind of adds some extra depth to the comic. So I do that. And I think that's really the main thing. Sometimes I'll bring in historical figures or cultural kitsch, like maybe a CTR ring. These are people or these are objects. They're really loaded in Mormon culture. And so they carry with them a lot of meaning and baggage with them. And I use that to my advantage. I assume a lot from the reader. I assume that the reader, the audience knows what I'm talking about or can use Google to find out. Another thing that you do quite well is you leave the dialogue incomplete and allow the reader to fill it in with their own experience. I'm going to share with you Enid versus knowing, which is one of the more important, I would say, comics that you've drawn. I even hate to call it a comic. (laughs) Well, call it whatever you like. (laughs) When Joseph Smith was basically my age, he went into the woods to pray and had the first vision. I pray every day to know what's true and what's not true and what's only kind of true. So, yeah. 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 How do we get this spiritual confirmation? Yeah. And here's Joseph, and he not only gets the spiritual confirmation, he gets a visitation. Yeah. I think this speaks to an experience all of us have, especially those of us who are really, really curious, is that we get these questions and we think through these issues a lot. Oftentimes we don't come to conclusive answers and it's left hanging there and sometimes for years. I mean, I have questions that I've been stewing about since I was a teenager that still I'm only partially satisfied with the answers I've come to. And and sometimes it is inconclusive. And I think part of being a Mormon is being comfortable with that there aren't answers everywhere. I mean, we have this idea that the gospel provides all the answers we need. In a certain sense, that's true. I mean, it's through Christ that we are saved. That seems fairly conclusive. I don't know, you know, the doctrine around that may not be very conclusive, but that's a certainty that we try to hold to. But a lot of everything else is just, you know, we don't know. And we say we know, but when we say we know, we mean something different. And I think that's what this comic is trying to convey, is that sometimes it is just, so yeah. This is what I know. This is what I think I know. This is kind of what I know, but that's and, all it is right now. And it's not as easy 
as we yeah, sometimes make it out to be, or we hear in testimonies, I prayed about it, and I got a confirmation, and yeah. you're sitting there thinking, hmm, I don't. Also, <laughs> in this comic, it points out how multi-layered I think they are sometimes. Mm-hmm. What's true, what's not true, and what's kind of true. Yeah. So much we think of black and white, and you're saying, ooh, there's some gray in there. Yeah, it's, it's layered. I always get nervous when I hear the black and white thing in church. As I mentioned earlier, I find Enid adept as a medium for opening up dialogue. One night I tossed part one into my 23-year-old daughter's hand and asked her if she wanted to read it. She'd never seen Enid. She proceeded to read it right there and then in front of me. And as she turned the pages, we talked about how aspects of Mormon culture had affected her in her teenage years. I don't know if we would have discussed some of those things. We did if we didn't have that tool to spur our discussion. I'm going to share a comic. It's not from your EFY week, Mm -hmm. but it was one of the things that my daughter and I talked about, and it had to do with one of her EFY experiences. This is Enid versus the Modesty Police. And I love this because this is leaders doing everything they should be doing. Yeah. So Enid says... (laughs) See, we're laughing before we're even reading it. So I show up to this dance, fully expecting to be sent home because my dress does not have any sleeves. Big arrow. Bare (laughs) shoulders. But do they send me home? No. Do they even notice my immodesty? No. Which means I'm stuck here, freezing to death and eating stale buttermints. (laughs) My daughter sees this and goes, wait, they didn't send her home? Hashtag every single time. Still bitter. Yeah. EFY, your skirt is too short. Here, let's pin something on it. Yeah. Or give you this like ugly wrap to put over your shoulders or whatever it might be. Exactly. Here's a sweater. Yeah. I think this came when I lived in Cincinnati. I was in the the youth program, both at the stake level and the, the ward level, pretty much the whole time I was there. I really enjoyed church dances and I really liked going there, but I always felt a little upset when I would see that this sort of thing happening where somebody would be called out for immodesty because you could think of all the different places that they could be at that moment you know doing all sorts of terrible things but this teenager chose to go to a church dance and maybe you can see their shoulders but there are worse things out there and I remember seeing some people get really upset and offended by well-meaning leaders who are just trying to do their jobs but maybe not quite putting everything into perspective the way maybe they ought to or could. And so, yeah, I I thought as I was making this comic, sometimes I, this is a very Saturday's Warrior thing to do, but I sometimes draw a comic that is an ideal situation where what ought to happen should happen to show other people that that's okay. And I thought how funny it would be if Enid, who doesn't like church dances, tried to deliberately get herself thrown out of the dance, but... Instead, her, her strategy backfires and she has to stick around and enjoy the dance or suffer through the buttermints at the dance because a leader realized that it was more important for her to be there than to be sent home or whatever it might have been. I had a question that I have to ask for my husband because I had him look through some of these strips in these books. 
You talk a lot about the controversies having to do with church history that a lot of people are struggling with now. My husband wanted to know, how do you know how far to go without crossing the line? Because you never cross the line. You self-regulate. You take it up to bringing the issue there where we can talk about it without being snarky or critical. Where is your self-monitoring coming in well i think it comes from my intense love of the past and church leaders these were extremely flawed men and i i spend my day with them men and women extremely flawed and i have grown over the years i first became interested in church history when i was a teenager when i was enid's age and i began to have these questions about plural marriage or about you know whatever else it might be book of mormon authenticity or or Book of Abraham. These happened to me when I was very young. As a youth, I began to acquire an intense love for the past and for the Mormon uh, experience. And that love keeps me from really getting too snarky because I admire people like Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and, and Emma Smith, and Eliza R. Snow, and others I, I introduce. I know their flaws, but I also know the good things that they've done. And I look at my own life and I always tell myself that the things that I love most about my life, I have because these people sacrificed what they did to make this church a reality. And it's a, it's a flawed institution. They were flawed people. I'm a flawed individual myself, but I love them. It's a, it's a powerful thing to me. And I, I don't want to, I want to make them real to people. And I think that's what I'm trying to do with this comic is make them somebody you can sit down and talk with and joke around with. Because that's what I would love to do with Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, because they were funny guys. So, As an active advocate for open dialogue, I appreciate the Garden of Eden because it shows your bravery as an author to own the Mormon story as flawed as it is and as beautiful as it is, like we saw in the story of church leaders doing what they were supposed to do. It's better that Enid's here than anywhere else so who cares if she has bare shoulders i'm always encouraged when another author jumps into the pool because i honestly believe if we don't tell our story then surely someone else will and we have found this my last comic to share is called enid versus the media enid is talking to joseph smith as she does talk to historical characters So your approval rating among those who did not have an opinion about you a week ago is down slightly. Thanks to the media's sudden interest in my 40 wives, no doubt, I expect they'll return to their usual indifference in a couple hours or so. Well, until then, can I borrow the sports section? Yeah. So all of a sudden, we get all these scrutiny after the Kirtland and Nauvoo polygamy essay is released. Other people are telling our story. Yeah. And this is kind of funny because this comic was directly related to a tweet that I read from the author Joyce Carol Oates, the novelist. And I'm a fan of her work and I've read some of it and I've published on some of it. And I just remember she wrote this very critical tweet on Joseph Smith and his plural marriages. And I'm like, what do you know about Joseph Smith and what do you know about Mormon plural marriage? It just irritated me that she read an article a critical article, and then just decided to, to tweet about it uh, as if she were an authority on the subject. And I think you're absolutely right. It's that sort of thing. That's why we need Mormon storytellers who will get out there and, and share the Mormon experience with all its complexity, 
it's not easy to be a Latter-day Saint, and that makes for great fiction. We have lots of great Mormon fiction writers out there who do a great job of, of telling a story, but we don't have enough. And I think that's one of the things I wanted to do with Enid was to get my story out there that I wanted to tell. Because if I don't do it, who's going to do it? It's, it's like teaching Sunday school. I would much rather do it than have somebody else do it. The more creative Mormons will put their work out there and really try to embrace their Mormonism, I think there's no limits to what we can do with Mormon art. We haven't even begun to tap the surface of it. And so I'm hoping that Enid will inspire others to, to do similar work. And I'm hoping that other writers will inspire others and, and, and that we can really begin to see some, uh, you know, a great Mormon renaissance sometime here in the future, before I die at least. And I plan to live a long life, so. <laughs> I echo those same hopes. Thanks, Scott, for visiting with us today. No problem. Thank you. LDS Perspectives Podcast is not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the guest and podcaster alone. An LDS Perspectives Podcast and its parent organization may or may not agree with them. While the ideas presented may vary from traditional understandings or teachings, they in no way reflect criticism of LDS church leaders, policies, or practices.